Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. Wherever you find yourself today, you belong here. And we hope that this word uplifts and inspires you in your daily life. Here's this week's message. Lord, thank you for being so, so good to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we give you this time. Lord, we open our hearts. We allow you to put in that good seed, your good seed, your word, deep into our hearts, Lord. We receive it with gladness and joy because we know, God, that you have a good plan and a future for us, Lord. You love us. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for allowing me some liberty here on that, but uh, man, that was good. Let's continue to be in that spirit as we are continuing our series of the 23rd Psalms. I hope you've been enjoying this. Uh, I normally don't ever really just get into a verse-by-verse study so deeply like I'm doing now, and it's just been so so good for me, so good for my soul, and I hope that you are, are breaking it down with me. I hope you're receiving some good things that are coming out of that. Um, you know, sometimes I, I'll do a sermon series that I feel like are... are uh, or something that I feel like God is wanting to speak to us as a whole. And then there's times where it just kind of gets deeply personal, you know, something that I'm going through and I got to sh- bring you along the ride with me. This is it. This is the thing that's been holding me together is this beautiful, beautiful Psalm 23. And so I hope that you've been enjoying it and gre- gleaning some things from God's word. God's word is so, so good. Well, like I said, we're taking this verse by verse and study of it, and as we're unpacking it, what we're really seeing is the essence of this is that David is showing us, David is showing us the path to peace, the path to peace, and how many know that the world needs real peace? You know, sometimes we talk about peace and we think that, and we talk about unity, but really it's got to come from within, right? It's got to be a peace that you can carry, something that goes beyond circumstances. It's got to be something that's deeply rooted into your soul. And God offers that to all those who put their trust in him. And that's what David is getting to. That's what David is trying to teach us and walk us along that path to peace. And David begins this psalm by saying that the only way to find that path, the only way to to grab a hold of that peace is by knowing who your shepherd is. Who is leading your life? Who is the one that's protecting you and providing for you? Who's the one that's going to stick with you and make sure that you're on the right path? And I'm so thankful that Yahweh, just like David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. He is our shepherd, the great I am. He is our shepherd. And that's where it all begins. That's what it's all about. And so, so that's really what he's, he's describing here as we unpack this beautiful psalm. And he shows us that God is faithful. Week one, we talked about that when you make God your shepherd, he is faithful to give you what you need when you need it. That's why you can confidently say, I shall not want, because we trust in a God that will give us what we need when we need it. And week two, we talked about that the good shepherd is one who desires to provide for us rest for our soul. Rest for our soul. He is the one. He is the source of that. And then last week we talked about that the, that the objective, the, the, the thing that the Lord is leading us towards is that he wants to restore us from the inside out, that we could find restoration in our soul. Oh, that's good news, friends, that we can always be restored in the Lord's presence. Now today, t- today is a little different. We're, we're diving into the middle of this, of this psalm, and there's, there's something beautiful in this, and I want you to follow along with this. We're going into verse 4, and what's happening here is there's going to be a change in this, in this verse. 
There's a change up. There's a change in direction. And when you're studying the Bible, when you're going through Scripture, always be mindful of the switch and the change of direction. And what I mean by that is that the first three verses, David is, is given a testimony. He's talking about God being a shepherd, and he's talking about the benefits of that. And then all of a sudden, in the next two verses, first he's addressing the crowd. He's wanting the reader to know. And then what you'll see in this next two verses is that he switches it up, and now his focus and his, his conversation turns to God. He starts directing it towards the Lord. It goes from becoming a testimony, and it switches to become a prayer and praise. And this is the beauty of, of, of the way the Bible was written, because it's written in all these different literary styles. You know, when you read through biblical poetry, you see that there's a, often a switch that happens. When you read through the Psalms, there's always times where he's speaking to the reader, and then he starts speaking to God and to the reader and to God. I love that. That's, that's what's beautiful about the way God gave us his word, is that it comes in different forms. And I think it's intentional that way because God knows that when, when you read poetry, see, the thing about poetry is poetry speaks to your mind and it also speaks to your heart, doesn't it? It speaks to your intellect and it also speaks to your emotion. It allows you to, 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 to express what you think and what you feel at the same time. Isn't that the beautiful thing about a beautiful song or poetry? It moves you. And that's the way God has given us his word. And that's what this psalm does. It's, it's moving us. It's inspiring us. It's not just giving us truth, but it's giving us the hope within it. That's what I love about this, and that's what he's doing. He's, he's switching directions. Now, verse 4, come on now. This is probably the most quoted of the whole passage, right? This is the most, the most well-known one. I mean, I can recite this one without even looking there, and probably you can do that as well, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yeah, we've heard that a lot. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to try my best because there's a lot to unpack in this verse. I mean, this is, this is a good one, man. You can sink your teeth into this one. But, like, there's so much in there, so I'm going to try my best with the 25, 30 minutes I have left now. That was a big intro, wasn't it? Um, to help unpack this the best I can. Well, let's talk about the obvious. Let's begin there, the obvious. What's the thing that sticks out the most in this verse, right? The valley. All right, let's talk a little bit about the valleys. See, in our culture, we like to use this metaphor about reaching the mountaintop, right? That gets our chest up, right? When we think about reaching the mountaintop, you know, hitting the pinnacles of life, I mean, we, we use that. We like that. We have this idea that, like, hey, I want to reach the top. If there's any hikers in the room or, or, or watching online, you know, a hiker, when you're climbing up the summit, when you're climbing up the trail, there's something in you, right, that, that, that no matter how hard the trail becomes, there's always this thought is that there's something better ahead. There's a better vantage point, and that's going to be worth the pain. That's going to be worth the struggle. That's going to be worth climbing a little bit farther because you know that that, that, that summit is on top. That vantage point is coming. Now, in life, there are these, these um, metaphorical mountains that we're trying to reach, that we're trying to climb. But here's the thing about mountains that we have to understand, is that you can't get to a mountain without crossing a valley. It's that way in nature, and it's that way in life, isn't it? You just, you, that's just the way it is. You, wherever there's a mountain, there's a valley. And because David 
was a shepherd, he understood this very well. He understood the journey to the mountaintop had to go through a valley. And here's some insight. See, in ancient Bethlehem, uh, from, from winter to spring, it was common for shepherds to, to feed their, their flocks around the pastures that are around their hometowns. But sooner or later, the sheep would, would eat all of, of, the, of, uh, of the food around those pastures. And so at the end of spring, the journey for a shepherd was to take them to higher ground. So they had to go through the journey during the summer months. But let me tell you, it was not an easy journey. But it was a journey that they had to take in order for their flocks to be strong and well-fed. That's what a good shepherd does. Even though it's hard, even though it's, there's, there's some maybe danger ahead, but the shepherd's going to do his job to make sure that his sheep will find the resource that they need so they could be strong and well-fed. It's a journey that had to take them through treacherous valleys. Now, I just have to believe that because this was his background, he had to be thinking as he's writing down these verses, when he's talking about God being his shepherd, and he's somebody who knew what it was like to be a shepherd, I have to believe that he was thinking about um, uh, 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 what this would journey would look like in his own life. David knew that valleys were dangerous for sheep. He knew that it's in those valleys where predators were lurk because, you know what, sheep are easy prey. Last week, I referenced a story about David's childhood. You know, the time when, when um, as a shepherd boy, he was sent out to the battlefield to bring supplies and food to his brothers who were fighting the battle. Remember that story? It's in uh, 1 Samuel 17. And what we know in that story is that David gets there, and he hears about this Philistine warrior who's a giant, and he's taunting Israel's army. Remember what happened? I mean, David, when he heard the news that this was happening, man, there was like this righteous anger that rose up within him. He couldn't handle hearing that there was this, this, this enemy taunting God's army. And he was repulsed by this army that wasn't able to fight him. And he thought, how can these guys be such cowards? And the righteous anger rose up. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? <laughs> I mean, most Bible scholars believe that David was around 12 years old at this time. Can you imagine a 12-year-old standing in front of some hardened soldiers and calling them out? What did David know that they didn't know? How was he able to have that kind of faith? That's big boy faith. And I believe it was because David had gone through a few valleys with the Lord before. Even at the age of 12, David already went through treacherous valleys. He already experienced the power of God keeping him safe in the midst of danger. And you can, like I said, you can read the story in 1 Samuel 17. This is a good read this week if you want to dive in. There's so much stuff to unpack in that story. But we all are familiar. If you've been in church long enough, you know that the story is about David fighting who? Goliath. Goliath, right? The giant. But what often gets overlooked in that story for me is the conversation that David has with King Saul before he gets in front of Goliath. He says something that convinces this king to put the fate of the nation in the hands of a shepherd boy. You find that interesting? I find that interesting. I'm like, what did he say? How did he convince this king to do this? 
And I believe it was because of David's testimony about his time in the valley. The time where he was taking care of his flock. About a time where he had to face danger in a valley. And it was the time when the Lord delivered him in the valley. See, David had this testimony to give, and he presented it to the king. And, and, and when he presented it, I believe that he had confidence, and I believe that, that he, he was sitting there with courage, and, and he had conviction in his voice because he was sharing, this is what God has done for me. Let me tell you something, friends. There is nothing more powerful than your testimony right? I, I mean, sometimes we get nervous about it because we think that people are going to downplay it. We think people are going to, there's skeptics, right? When you tell your testimony about what God's done, come on, you are fearful because there are some skeptics out there. But let me tell you, those skeptics, they can't, they can't dismiss your testimony. They can debate your Bible knowledge. They can debate the scripture's interpretation, but they can never take away your experience that you've experienced with God and your testimony. That's why the Bible tells us in Revelation that we will be overcomers, that we would overcome the enemy, the devil himself, by what? The blood of the Lamb who purchased us for our salvation and the word of our testimony. Our testimony has that much power. I just think that's amazing. (laughs) And I believe that that is the kind of Christian that God is calling us to be. That's the kind of Christianity that we're supposed to have is this bold faith in God and what he has done and what he can do through us and what he has done, right? He's been so faithful. But even in the midst of death and danger, God is there. And that was the same spirit that David had. You have to believe that. But listen to his testimony here. He says this, in verse uh, 34, this is first, uh, second Sam, or no, first Samuel 17, okay? Uh, I didn't mean, oh, it's up there. Awesome. Way to go, media team. He says this, he says this to the king. He says, your servant, meaning himself, he says, he has been keeping his father's sheep with a lion, and a, when a lion and a bear came and carried off the sheep of the flock, right? This, you, you imagine this scenario, right? Here comes a lion and a bear after his sheep, and then he says, and I went after it. I mean, a lot of us would run at first sight of danger, but not David. What does David do? He says, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And then when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair. I struck it, and I killed it. Come on, what kind of shepherd is this? Better yet, what kind of kid is this? My goodness. He says he grabs the lion by its mane. He brings it in, and he starts striking it and beating it down. He kills it with his own hands. I mean, this is nearly impossible for 10 grown men, let alone a boy. But that just shows us the provision and the protection of the good shepherd who had his back, who who, who was there to empower him and equip him for the battle that was ahead. You know, many of you guys can look at life, right? And you can say, man, I I, I wouldn't have not been here. How many of you guys have a testimony that says, I would not have been here if it wouldn't have been for the grace of God? I wouldn't have been here if there wasn't some divine intervention, some supernatural work. I would not have been here. Who has a testimony? Raise your hand if you're in this room, if you have the testimony to say that it's a miraculous work of God that I'm even sitting here today, that I'm even alive today. That's the God that we serve. That's the testimony that you have, and that is powerful. That is so powerful. David is full of faith sharing this testimony. You just imagine that there's just, this, there's just something in him, some uh, rod, steel rod in his spine as he looks and he says this. Listen to this, verse 36. This is so good. He says, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. 
<laughs> because he has defiled the armies of the living God. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me, will rescue me. He's so confident. You might think it's cocky. It's confidence from the hands of the Philistine. See, David, when he does acknowledge he says, I still had to go after it. I still had to do something. I still had to have the faith to trust God that if I put myself in that position that he's going to come and help me out. He still says that. He says, I still had to fight the battle, but it was the Lord who equipped and empowered me. I love that. He says, the Lord rescued me. I love how this verse ends here. Can you imagine hearing that, right? There's, there, there was probably such a Holy Spirit anointing on David, and, and, and the, the king's looking at him. He doesn't know what to do, and it just says this. It says, the king looked at David, and he says, go, let the Lord be with you. See, before there was a giant slayed, there had to be a lion and a bear conquered. Yet, it all happened in a valley, in fact, the valley that, that, that David faced Goliath in and conquered the giant was actually called the valley. It was the Valley of Elah. See, there's no doubt that as David is writing these psalms, he's writing with that same conviction, that same confidence that he had as a shepherd boy, and he's writing that down, and he's declaring this, my friends. He says, I will fear no evil. With that confidence, I will fear no evil. Wow. I read it that way. I hope you read it that way. But how can he be so confident? Because he says, you are with me. You are with me. In other words, David is declaring that the shepherd did not back down from any danger. Instead, a good shepherd runs towards danger to rescue his sheep. Hmm. See, David, without a question, was the person who put himself between death and the sheep, didn't he? He understood what that meant. He understood that he had to battle a lion and a bear for the sake of saving the sheep. And he put himself in harm's way. And he defeated it with a wooden uh, rod and a wooden staff. And he struck down his enemy and he freed his sheep from the grip of death. Some of you know where I'm going with this. When I read this passage, when I read through this scripture, I can't help but to wonder, could this be a prophetic vision of Jesus Christ himself? Think about it for a moment. Could it have been that as David is writing these words, that all of a sudden he gets a glimpse, a prophetic glimpse of who Jesus would become, who the good shepherd would be someday? I believe so, because I see the good shepherd's words this way in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus identified with that. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says the hired hands is not the shepherd and does not know, does not own the sheep. If he sees danger, if he sees a wolf coming, he runs and he scatters away. And then the wolf can attack the sheep and they scatter. He says that man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But we have a good shepherd, friends, and he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, and I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just like I know the Father and the Father knows me. And then he says this, he says, and I lay down my life. I put myself in danger. I put myself in between death and my sheep. Do you get that picture? David, I believe, is prophetically describing Jesus' work on the cross, friends. Putting himself between, between death and us, death, sin, and the grave between us. And with the strike of a wooden cross on Calvary, he did the death blow, the final death blow of death itself. Do you know that, that, that the cross is the death of death? <laughs> wow. 
for all those who put their faith in Jesus. That's why he calls it the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. See, our hardships and our trials, friends, every, even the moment that we have to experience physical death, even in that moment, yes, I call it a moment because for a believer in Jesus, it would only be a moment in light of eternity with him. How do I know that? How can you be so confident, Pastor Omar? Because I know what Scripture says. Scripture says to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's just a moment. It's just a moment. And it says in that. See, it's just a temporary experience in light of eternity. We have to be confident in that. We have to be confident in that. And that's why David could say, I will fear no evil because you are with me. See, now, friends, here's the thing. It's so easy to get the amens in the room when I say stuff like that because theologically we agree with that. Theologically we put our faith in that and we hope that in someday, one day, this will all be true. But how do you walk this out practically? Not just once, but every time you have to walk through your metaphorical valleys in life. Here's the thing that I know for sure. Just being around people for a long time. You are either in the middle of your valley. You either are getting ready to enter into a valley and not know it, or you've just got out of a valley. <laughs> that's, just, that's just real, right? That's just life. It's part of life, going through valleys. So the question this morning is this. Do you have a good shepherd leading you through it? And if not, do you know that you have one available to you today? I hope that's good news for you. You know, I used to always tell my students as a youth pastor, I used to say, hey, you guys are, uh, don't take this life for granted because we were all, all of us, are one call or one text message away from a different life. Our lives can change in a matter of moments, by receiving bad news. And oftentimes, that's how our journey to the valley starts, is bad news, isn't it? God help me today. Wow. I just feel like there's some of you, man, that you guys are going through a valley. And it's not exaggerating to call it the shadow, the shadow of death, because it feels dark to you. Man, I love you. I hope you're listening. I hope you're receiving this. Some of you need to pray for that person, right? I don't know what your valley is. I don't know what it consists of. Some of you, you guys might be walking through a valley of sickness and disease right now. And you might have just gotten a report from the doctor this week. And it's telling you some bad news. And now you're trying to work through that. You're trying to process that. And you haven't even told your family yet. You haven't told your friends yet because you're just like, I don't even know how to deal with this. I don't even have to work with this. That's such a lonely place to be, but I want to tell you that you don't have to be alone in this because there's a good shepherd that wants to walk alongside you and he wants to lead you step by step through this valley. Some of you guys have just gone through the valley of addiction and praise God, he's delivered you, you're walking through it, but now you're living this new life and you're trying to figure out how to, how to have a new way of thinking, how a new way of living, and you need a good shepherd to guide you through that. Some of you guys are going through a valley of financial difficulties and you're so full, uh, over, the debt is so overwhelming to you and you're just like, man, it feels like this is a shadow, it's a cloud in my life and I can't break through. You need the good shepherd to walk you through this. I can go on and on talking about all of our valleys that we face in life. But I want you to see that there's a God here. There's a God in your life that wants to lead you through this to make sure that he shows you that he is with you, that he will protect you, and that he will provide for you in that valley. 
Our God will show us that. And what's amazing about that is that God wants to show you that he's going to get you through the valley. And when you get to the other side of the valley, there's going to be an increase in your life, not a deficit. Some of you are so fear of the deficit. What am I going to lose? I can't believe this is getting taken away. Let me tell you, if you follow after Jesus, there's going to be an increase on the other side of the valley. That's what he promises us. So how do we do that? Well, it all starts with renewing your mind by the word of God. Right? We've got to take the word of God, what we're seeing, what we're studying, and we've got to let it renew our mind. Go past your feelings and let it renew your mind. Let it change the way you think. What do we need to change the way we think? We need to change the way we think about valleys. That's where we start. They're not a terrible thing. They're hard. But if I'm following after Jesus and if he's leading me through the valley, that means there's a mountaintop on the other side. But we're so quick on sitting there talking bad and cursing it. And I'm saying, no, Lord Jesus, if this is what it is, let it be. Let me go through it. It's hard, but I'm tougher because you're with me. I'm stronger because you're with me. You're going to get me through, and I'm going to be a better person on the other end of this because you are with me. So what do we have to do? We have to remember his purpose. God's purpose for your valley is just as, 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 as strong and, and important as his purpose for you on the mountaintop. But oftentimes we look at the mountaintop and we're like, no, that's my purpose. But sometimes we don't realize that sometimes to get there, you got to go through the valley. Everybody wants to talk about going to the mountaintop, but nobody wants to go through the valley to get there. I'm such a better pastor today because I've gone through some valleys, some hardships. When you come into my office, we talk and we share some scars. Man, I'm telling you, God is faithful. God is good. But I can have more empathy. I can understand more. I can help lead you more because I know that God is faithful because I had to go through some valleys. Thank God. What's the purpose of the valley then? It's simple, right? Ready for this? It's to get you through it. (laughs) Valleys have a beginning and an end. That's why David said he's going to get me through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say he's leading me to a dead end, but some of us act like it. Here's the thing. The valley is not your permanent destination, so don't act like it. Don't build a house in the valley. Because that's not where you're going to stay forever. It's too will pass and you'll get through the valley. He says he's going to get me through the valley. It sucks to get through the valley, but we're going to get through the valley. God wants to tell somebody today, you're getting through the valley. So don't get comfortable there. Don't talk about it like, like it's your final destination. Don't set up shop there. You're just passing through. Learn all you can in the valley. You're going to need it for the mountaintop. That's, that's prophetic for somebody here but he promises that he'll get us through the valley. It might take months, friends. It might take years, okay? But it won't last forever. It won't last forever. Why? Because God's got a greater purpose on the other side of the valley. Number two, I'm running out of time here. (laughs) God is good, man. Number two, we have to remember not only that there's a purpose in the valley, but we also got to remember his presence in the valley. Come on, somebody. His presence in the valley. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because, come on, say it with me. You are with me. You are with me. His presence is there. And it, is, it seems extreme, right? Where he's like, it's the, you, you think that he's just like some really emotional guy to be like, oh, the shadow of the valley of death, right? Like the like shadow of death. I mean, that sounds extreme, but you know, let me tell you, death is extreme to the human soul. We don't really fully know what's on the other side of that. We're fearful of death. No matter how much faith we have, let's be honest, let's be real. If not, you've never sat in somebody's deathbed, outside of somebody's deathbed, walked them through that. It, is, it, it has a little bit of that in it. It's serious, it's hard. 
But in order for us not to fear death, our biggest fear, we have to put our trust on the other side of death. And the only one that we know that's ever been on the other side of death is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what this resurrection means. Our whole foundation of our faith is based on an event that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I'm so excited for Easter that's coming up because that is the whole message is resurrection, right? Living past this life that we know it and into an eternal life of glory in heaven. That should get somebody excited. But how do we have this faith and this confidence of the afterlife and we believe that God is going to get us through that, that channel of death, through that moment of death, but yet we can't have the same faith that he would be with us in his presence today and tomorrow or next week or next month. We got to have that same confidence that he is with us because the same God that is with us then will be the same God that's with us now. See, his presence gives us the perspective we need not to live in the fear that we feel. We're going to feel fear, guys. Some pastors don't tell you that. You know? You're real. You're real people like me. We get scared. When my kids get sick, I get scared. Can I say that? (laughs) Will you judge me? When I lost my job, fired, I was scared of what I was going to do, okay? You're going to get scared as a Christian. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not going to feel fear. But you've got to have a better perspective that can override that with faith, right? It feels real. Fear is real. But you don't have to live in it. Why? Because you're not alone in it. Nothing will give you more confidence and make you fear less when you know that somebody's present is somebody who loves you the most. If you don't believe me, Start hanging around some, some, some kids and see how they act when their parents in the room, when their parents aren't in the room. You put a kid in an unfamiliar uh, environment, and, and they're going to act a certain way. But then if you bring their parents that they know love them and care for them, they're going to act differently. They're going to act more confident, and they're going to be more comfortable. Friends, that's how we have to, to learn to live our life with the Lord, that he is present, so I'm not going to fear. I'm going to trust him because the God who loves me dearly is with me. Come on, that should bolden somebody up today. That's got to be our focus, that he is with me. And what I love about uh, uh, David's writings here, as, as he shifts it, right? He shifts it from, from a poem into a prayer. He could have said, God is with me. He could say, hey, you guys all know that, that God's with me. He could, say, he could say all different ways, but he says, no, I will fear no evil. Why? He turns his focus on God. And he says, because you are with me. His faith got built up from the everlasting presence of God. See, some of us need to switch our focus in the valley. We need to stop talking about God, and we need to start talking to God in the valley. See, when we're hurting, when we're going through hard times, when we, when we have some situations that we don't want to walk through, uh, sometimes we just start talking all about God to everybody, but we need to start talking to God. See, when you merely start just talking about your problems, what's going to happen is you're going to look at your problem, you're going to focus on that problem, and that problem is going to look like a nine-foot giant in front of you. But when you start turning your focus, and there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer requests. There's nothing wrong with talking about what's going on in your life. But if that's all you're doing, you're focusing on that. And you can't see around it. You can't see above it. It just casts in a shadow. But what's going to happen is that you start looking at God. You start realizing, my God is bigger than that giant. That's what David's experienced. I don't have to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders when I can talk to the one that carries the world in his hands. Come on, some of us need to stop talking about our problem and we need to start talking to God. 
and see things change, see your perspective change. God, Lord, have mercy. You know what's really funny about us is that um, we can tend to worry about things that haven't happened yet. <laughs> and what I love about this, I'm, I'm almost ready, guys. What I, what I see about this is I see that, that, that David helps us with this. Listen to what he says. He says, yay, I walk. See, when you hear yay, okay, it's not Kanye, okay? He says yay <laughs> means even if. He says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. David is talking about a valley he hasn't even entered yet. Wow. Do you catch that? What he's doing here is he's making a pre-decision. What's a pre-decision? This is the way I try to model my parenting. See, I try to have conversations with my kids. And in these conversations, I try to talk to them about things. I want them to think with the end in mind. Here's what I mean by that. I tell my kids, I say, who do you want to become someday? What is your character supposed to look like? Who do you want to be? Give me some words. And they'll say, oh, I want to be loyal. I want to be faithful. I want to be, hard. I want to be a leader. Uh, you know, uh, they, they give me all these cool things. And then I say, okay, okay, that's your aim. And them understanding that helps them prepare for how they will respond when those things become challenged. It helps them stay focused and helps them to navigate through things when, when all of a sudden they're hit with the temptation to do the easy thing instead of the right thing, right? Keep the end in mind. It helps them make a pre-decision. See, don't wait till you're in the middle of the stress or the pressure to make a decision. Make the decision now. David is doing the same thing. He says, I'm not going to wait until I'm in the middle of the valley to decide if I'm going to let my fear override my faith. He made a pre-decision. He says, no, I'm going to choose to be a person who will have faith no matter what that won't have fear no matter what. I'm going to put my trust in God. He made that decision before he went into the valley. Some of us need to make a pre-decision right now to say, whatever comes in my life, whatever is ahead of me, whatever I got to go through, I'm going to be a person of faith. And I'm making that decision today. I'm making that decision right now. Not when I'm in it, but right now, I will not fear. Why? Because God is with me. And if God is with me, then he'll provide what I need when I need it. That's how confident we can do this. Some of us need to make a pre-decision. How am I going to respond when the stress builds up in my life? Think about that. Make a pre-decision. How am I going to respond when I receive bad news? Make a pre-decision right now how you're going to respond. You don't have to wait. How am I going to respond when I have to go through a season that I'm dreading? Make a decision today. I will have no fear, for you are with me. He will guide me. I'm not left alone. I will fear no evil. I will not believe the worst. Why? Because he is with me. He is with me. All right. Here we are. I'm landing the ship here. My goodness, I wish I had some more time. So we have to understand, right, his purpose. We have to understand his peace. He says this at the end. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I wanted to give you a little visual today to think about this, if I can have... Dylan, help me out. Okay. So I grabbed a shepherd's staff and what a shepherd's rod would have looked like. Two different things, right? I always thought it was one thing, right? But it was two different things. Let's look at the rod real quick. The rod was a symbol of strength. The rod was, was a wooden club. And, and I think it was what he probably used to beat down that lion and that bear. The, the, rod, the rod represented a defense and it deterred any enemy that came after the sheep. That's what this was. 
And when I was thinking about this week, I was like, okay, okay, what what would really hit home for me to understand how this works? What is he trying to say here? And when I think of the rod, I think of the Word of God. I think the Word of God is his rod. Why? Because it's there to protect us. It's there to to help our hearts. It's there to to give us truth so that we don't fall into false doctrine. It helps protect us and it defends us from the enemy. How do I know that? Well, Jesus himself, what did he do when the devil came to tempt him? What did he do? What did he use? The Word of God. Right? It's the rod of God. The rod of God. And when I look at the shepherd's rod, I mean the shepherd's uh, rod as the word of God, I look at the shepherd's staff as the spirit of God. Think about what you have here. The word of God and the spirit of God. And when I think about the shepherd, what he would use his staff with is that when the sheep were kind of getting out of line, when the sheep were going in paths that they weren't supposed to, the, the shepherd would take the long end and he would kind of gently guide them back on the path. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does in our lives? You know what else he would do? He would use the hook side, and if he needed to inspect the sheep, if he needed to bring the sheep near, if the sheep was hurt and he wanted to look at it, he would use it to separate the sheep that was hurting, the sheep that needed to be close to the shepherd, and he would bring them in. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does to us? He brings us in. And so David is thinking about the rod and the staff. And I want you to think about the word and the spirit and how it plays in your life. And David says, it's your word and your spirit. It's your rod and your staff. And he says, they comfort me. You know, that Hebrew word for comfort, it not only means compassion, but it also means correction. And man, my friends, I'll tell you, I get so comforted in knowing that God will do anything and everything and everything in his disposal to bring me back on the right track to make sure I don't fall, to make sure that I don't stumble, to make sure that I don't fall off the deep end, to make sure that I stay in line to his plan and the purpose because he knows that he's leading me through the valley. And so a good shepherd, he will use his rod, he'll use his spirit, he uses the spirit of God he's given us and he uses the word of God to get us into that path that we can continue to walk and follow him because he's getting us through this valley so that he could take us to the mountain. That's so good. That's so good. This really blessed my soul this week. I've been leaning on this all week. I've been calling out to God. I said, God, thank you so much for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. I need it, God. I think some of you need it. I think some of you have been neglecting God's word. And you've been feeling like it's meant to beat you over the head, but it's not. I think you need to identify that that's the Spirit's voice talking to you to draw you near. It's a Spirit's voice that's prodding you gently moving you, leading you. I think you need to respond. So we're going to do something a little different today as we respond. God really gave me this. And I, I, I want to put the, those first four verses up on the screen. We're going, to, we're going to close out, okay? So if some of your guys' stomachs are growling, it'll be okay. Some of us can skip a meal, let's be honest, right? Myself included. But I want you to look at this, these verses, right? The first four verses. And we're going to do something because we're going to pray this scripture. We're going to pray these verses. I'm not sure if you're used to that, but we're going to do that today. And I want to teach you how, how I do it. Look at these verses and read them in your mind. Meditate on them, right? I'm going to give you a few minutes. I ask, uh, he's going to play some music, okay? Just a few minutes, promise, just a few minutes. And I want you to look through these verses, read them in your head, look at these words, 
and I want you to think about what stands out the most. What part of this, this passage resonates with you the most of where you're at right now? Okay, so we're going we're to do that. I'm going to give you a minute. And then I'm going to come back. Uh, I'm going to come back in and, and then we're all going to recite this together, okay? So just think about what, what part of that connects with you the most. Take a moment. prayer but I want you to say it not like it's David's words but it's your words okay read along with me he says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he leads me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Come on, could you just give God some thanks right now, just with your voice, your heart right now. Just tell him how good he is. Tell him how great he is. Thank him for his word. Thank you for this opportunity to connect with him at a new level whatever resonated with you in that, just thank him for that. Thank you for being my provider, my protector, my guide, my restorer, my redeemer. Thank you for giving me courage and strength. Thank you for not letting me feel like I'm lost, but that I'm in the fold, that I'm in the flock. Thank you for letting me have a place to belong in your kingdom with your family on earth and in heaven. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for being the one that came between me and death. The thought that I was worthy enough to come in and put yourself in harm's way to rescue me, my lost soul. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just thank him. Thank him. Whatever's on your heart, just thank him. It's been, come on, 30 seconds right now, just with your voice right now. Make it personal. this continue to be something that we meditate on throughout the week. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, I'm so thankful for you. God is good. God is worthy of our praise. Here's my challenge for you. 
dialogue this message with somebody this week, okay? And see what they got out of it and share and pray life and do life together. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for joining us. There's plenty of ways to get connected here at Grace Church. Find us on social media by searching Grace Church Federal Way or visit our website in the link below. Have a blessed week.